for worshiping well. Good morning, Sunnybrook. It is good to see you this morning, and welcome to our online services for this Sunday, January 31st. Um, we pray that you are encouraged this morning through our worship and through our text um, and through our praying and, and, and taking communion together. Um, we know it's a difficult time right now, and if you need anything, please feel free to reach out. We would love to connect with you, um, reach out to the church staff. They would love to pray with you um, and assist you in anything that they can do. Um, this morning, Justin is going to be preaching from Mark chapter 5, and so the text for today is Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read that text now. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. They heard about the herd was about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they, be, they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are, another week in our series on Jesus. We're talking through the things that Jesus has done, and we're going to start off after Easter talking about the things that Jesus said. Obviously, as you read through the Gospels, we have a lot of accounts that are in each of the Gospels, a lot of accounts that are in a couple or three of the Gospels, some that are unique to one particular writer. Today, we're going to be looking at a story from the Gospel of Mark that we also find in the other Synoptic Gospels. Both Luke, Matthew, and Mark all have this same story, and we're talking about Mark chapter 5, as Brady just read. An interesting story. A strange story, one that if you've been at church long, you've probably heard before. And that's where I want to caution us. A lot of us as Christians who have been in church for a while, we hear stories like this and automatically something ticks in our brain. I've heard this. And maybe we're less receptive to hear what might be preached, 
what might be read. I've heard some Christians say before, yeah, I read the Bible once. I really don't think I need to anymore. I've heard some Christians say, yeah, I think I've moved beyond studying the Bible. I've heard some Christians say, like, I don't think I need that anymore. I'm into deeper things now. And hopefully, as you hear that being said, there's something inside of you that doesn't feel very comfortable with that. The idea that somehow we as followers of God, followers of Jesus, have so read the Bible thoroughly and so understood it completely that we don't need to sit under it anymore. We don't need to crack it open and read through and meditate on the precepts of God. That somehow coming and sitting in a sanctuary to listen to a sermon preached or sitting in a classroom to hear the Bible taught is something that we used to do when we needed that sort of thing, sort of pandering the idea that studying God's word is something for the immature, maybe the uninitiated. Hopefully, um, you don't hear that message or if you do believe that, or you have had an inkling toward that thought, you are ready to repent of that, because I know I have. So many times over the last few years, I will look to myself in the mirror and have to say, it is time to repent and read the Word of God. All different kinds of things, excuses we can come up with as to not be in the Word, not to sit under the teaching, means that we have a hard heart. And that hard-heartedness needs to be repented of. God opposes the, pa- the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And today, we're going to be looking at a text maybe you've heard before, and maybe for some of you, you haven't. As you heard Brady read those words, that's the first time you've really heard Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, this weird story about a guy named Jesus going across some sea to a land that was strange that you maybe have never heard of, to a guy that was possessed by demons. He cast these demons out, and then they send him away. What a strange, strange story. So whether you're a Christian, a seasoned veteran, or somebody who's unfamiliar with this story, humble yourself now. Make yourself available and ready to hear what God might teach us from Mark chapter 5 today. And that's really the point. Number one, this is weird, and let's hear it afresh. And what's weird, something that's weird about this story first is the demons. Let's get it ob- the obvious thing out there. We as modern people think that demons and spiritual things are something of the past. Uh, I preached a message at, in August this last year on, from Ephesians chapter 6, talking about how there really is an enemy out there with a real plan that God has given us the real tools to defeat. Probably the hardest part of that message is trying to convince people from the 21st century that there is such thing as the devil, that there is such thing as a group of spiritual beings like angels and demons, and that sometimes those spiritual beings interact with the physical realm, all of which sit under as God's created order. And that's not the point of today's sermon, to try to convince you that there are demons, that there is a devil. Honestly, Mark presupposes that. And most of the world, for most of time, have presupposed that there really is a spiritual realm out there, that there really is a God, that there really is something beyond what we can see and what we can measure, and that sometimes those things which we can't see, which we can't measure, interact with the physical created realm. 
And here in this story, we see a perfect example of that. And actually, it's probably helpful for us to take a step back from Mark and see what the Bible says in general, giving us a a biblical theology of what the Bible says about demons. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You remember the story, God created all things in Genesis 1 and 2, and then in chapter 3, this serpent, who we come to find out as the story progresses, is the devil, comes and tempts Adam and Eve. He tries to convince them, instead of listening to God and obeying him at his word, that they should lift themselves up as the authority, that they should put themselves in the place of God. And then God comes and he finds out what they had done and he starts to let them know what this choice results in. Here's the consequences of what you have chosen to do, to listen to someone else other than me, to put yourself or someone or something else on the throne except for me. Here's what Jesus says to that serpent. I will put hostility between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, the offspring of the devil, and her offspring, humans. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In Christian circles, we talk about this as being like the first hint at the gospel, the proto-euangelion, the first time we see in the scriptures that God promises some form of fixing of what has gone wrong in Genesis 3, is in Genesis 3. Yes, there is going to be a lot of serious consequences for sin, a lot for men, a lot for women, a lot for the created order in every shape and size, but there's a promise in there. And it's here that, hey, devil, there's going to be a conflict between you, your demons, everyone who follows you, and humanity. And that's going to happen all the way until I send one, this he in this text. And he will strike your head, a a crushing blow to the head of Satan, and you will strike his heel. Hmm, What does that maybe make us think about? Is there any time in the story of God's redemptive history where someone comes and his heel is struck or he is injured or maybe killed for a time and then comes back to life and crushes the head of Satan? It's Jesus. It's Jesus' work on the cross. He didn't stay dead, though maybe the forces of darkness think they may have won when Jesus died and took his last breath on the cross. He didn't, actually. They did not win. And this is why in 1 John 3, 8, we believe that the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And we just read previously in Mark that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We know that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But one text that we often forget is 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus also came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to fulfill Genesis three fifteen. When he came and put on flesh and willingly went to the cross, and who knows what the powers of darkness and the devil were thinking at that time, maybe they thought, fine, we killed him. We we killed him. Maybe we won. And then on Sunday morning, he resurrects from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the works of the devil. But as you and I can look around and see, there's still evil. There's still darkness. If Jesus conquered, destroyed the works of the devil, then what actually happened? Well, he initiated something. He conquered sin and death so that people could come after him, put their faith in him. They too could conquer sin and death. But here's what Revelation 12.12 helps us to see. 
Uh, This is a beautiful text, a cosmic text of this powerful story of a dragon and a woman giving birth to this child who's going to rule and this conflict between the powers of darkness and the powers of light clashing in this great event which we know as the cross story. Jesus coming, dying on the cross is the way through which he conquered and the way through which his people will conquer. Because in this life, until Jesus returns and finally casts Satan and evil and the devil and all wicked things into an utter darkness forever and is completely removed, completely other, completely forever from the powers of God and heaven, there is a gap. And here's what Revelation 12, 12 says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. When Jesus conquered the works of the devil on the cross and in the resurrection, there still left this time where Satan has been greatly limited in his power, in his scope, because he has no power over Jesus and therefore no power over Jesus' followers. But he still roams around ready to bite anyone who's willing to put their hand in the cage that he is in. And he knows, he knows that coming someday soon, Jesus will throw him into a prison and separate him from God and his allies forever. But it's a short time. We don't know the time. Obviously, 2,000 years later, it's not the time, but time is relative when you think of God. Now, one of the texts in the New Testament says that God doesn't work on the same time scale that we do. To God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And he has not forgotten his promises, but actually he's being patient with us because he wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, the one, the Most High, who conquered the works of the devil and wants to ransom you from your broken state and bring you into union with him through the person and the work of Jesus. And this text, this text here in Mark chapter 5 is an example of that. One of Mark's goals, one of probably all the gospel writers' goals, is to help people see who Jesus is, to help them understand his power, his unique authority, that he, Jesus, stood above and beyond any prophet, any person that had come before him, and he stands far above and beyond any person that would come after him because he is God in the flesh. He has a unique power and a unique authority, and that power and that authority extends over the reign of the devil and his allies. And that was a big thing for the people who really understood it, really had seen the powers of the, uh, the work of the devil in their day, just like this man who is living in the tombs. He is naked, he is isolated, he is possessed by a legion of demons, so Mark says. One thing that you find interesting in this text, I don't know if you heard it, but Mark seems to really want to emphasize how strong this demon-possessed man was. Three times he tries to emphasize this, that many times he was bound in chains, many times he was released by chains. He was so strong no one could subdue him. Why would Mark highlight that? Because if this man was so strong that no person could contain him, that no chain could contain him, Maybe that's trying to point out something about Jesus. Um, Jesus, in another text, makes fun of, or at least corrects, some of the religious leaders of the day who try to say, Jesus is casting out demons by the devil. 
He's casting out demons by the leader of demons. And he says, that's foolish. That's a foolish thing to think. That's a foolish thing to say. A house divided against itself cannot stand. No, there is a strong man and nobody can subdue him except, well, maybe someone can. And this text is the answer. Nobody can subdue this man possessed by a legion of demons. No chain can contain him. But what does Jesus do? With the power of his word, he releases that man. That's what we see in the text. With the power of his word, Jesus has authority, power that's far beyond any power of any chain, any power of any human in that area. Reminds us again of Genesis. God, by the power of his word, speaks all things to existence. Why? What is Mark trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to see who Jesus is. <laughs> Ironically, the demons know who Jesus is. Uh, who are you? You are Jesus, the son of the most high God. One of the things that stuck out to me as I was reading and preparing for this text is that the demons recognize who Jesus is, even though they know at some level Jesus is going to judge them and torment them and throw them into the abyss someday. But the people who Jesus had come to save can't seem to get it. The demons, they know there is a God and they are at, they're in conflict with God, but also fear God and submit to God. But the people, the very people that God made, the very people that God had put on flesh in order to come save, they can't get it. Even those same people who had been given the scriptures, the Jews, they had been given the keys to know and expect that one was coming that would be their king and their savior, and they couldn't see it. So many of them, even their religious leaders, the one who were supposed to teach the word, couldn't get it. That's the irony of the text is that these demons understand that Jesus is the Son of God who has great power, and they submit to his power. But the people, throughout this text and throughout all the Gospels, don't seem to understand who Jesus is and how they're supposed to respond to his power, to his mercy, to his commands. So the first thing that's weird is the demons. The other thing that I thought was, well, a little weird in this text was all the begging. I don't know if you saw or you um, paid attention to, but five times this word beg or some variation of it come up. Five times. The demons do it three times. The crowd, the people of that area in uh, the Decapolis do it one time. And then the demon-possessed man who had then been healed begs. Five times. Three different groups beg Jesus to do something. We see in uh, verses 6 and 7, we read the text with me. When he saw Jesus, this is the demon-possessed man from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. Uh, this demon, this group of demons who had possessed this man come to challenge Jesus. And the only proper response to Jesus, when you know who Jesus is, when you know the power and authority he has, is this. They knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? It's a similar phrase that Jim talked about a couple of weeks ago with the wedding at Cana. Um, Jesus says this phrase to his mother, What to you and to me? That's the same phrase here that uh, the demon uses. What to us and to you? Uh, back off. What are you trying to mess with us for? Get out of my face. Get out of my business, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. 
And then they say this, I beg you before God, don't torment me. Matthew, as I said, Matthew and Luke both record this as well. Matthew actually says something along the lines of, don't torment me, don't torment us before our time. They seem to know that at some point, this is the guy who is going to judge us, to condemn us. And if you've read Revelation 20 lately, who is going to throw us into an eternal prison so that we are completely removed forever. They know that a time is coming when Jesus will judge them for their foolish, evil, wicked choices. And that's coming, but it's not yet. Don't torment me, Jesus. And actually in Luke, Luke adds the detail of into the abyss, into this place. Again, this realm in which God will come and he will fully consummate the kingdom which Jesus initiated, inaugurated, and he will cast them into this prison forever to be completely removed from all that is good, from all that is godly, from all the allies of God, so that sin and death and evil and disease is no more. And they know that. They know that's coming. That's the first time we see begging. The second time, read with me in verse 9. What is your name, Jesus asked him. My name is Legion. Interestingly enough, a legion was a group of Roman military personnel. And Mark, if you know your context of Mark, is probably written to the church at Rome. And he, the demoniac, answered him, Jesus, because we are many. Legion is his name, because we are many. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Uh, We don't really know why they didn't want to leave that region. Some people hypothesize that um, different demons are charged with causing disruption in certain places. Uh, That if there's a thousand demons, each of them have a region of the earth that they're in charge of causing chaos, causing destruction, causing uh, evil at the um, will of their master, the devil. Some simply say that this is a time where they're trying to get Jesus not to cast them away, send them into the pit just yet. That's the second one. Let's look at the next in verse 11. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. Interestingly, again, they don't want to be cast into the pit just yet. They don't want to be cast into utter darkness, this abyss. Their time has not yet come. Just send us into those pigs over there. That's the third. And next we see in verse 15, this is a group of people that were living in that region. Okay? They all knew of this man who had been demon-possessed that was living in this tomb on this hillside. They knew some of the pig farmers that were in this area, and all of them begin to come together at this point in the story. The people who were watching this event happen, the people who were um, herding or farming these uh, pigs, saw this miracle of Jesus, this exorcism of Jesus. And immediately, what do you do? You, you, you go tell people. So they ran to town. They ran to the neighboring houses, and they let them know what Jesus had done. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. He was sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. A key theme in Mark. A key theme in Mark. As people come face to face with Jesus, his power, his authority, fear is a very natural response for people. Think, think about any time somebody comes face to face with an angel in the Old Testament or the New, what's the first thing they do? They're greatly afraid. When you come face to face with great power and great authority, undeniable, 
you should be a little uneasy. And so I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with this response of them. They were afraid as they heard and saw what Jesus had done. Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Probably not the right response. We're going to come back to that later. So we have two groups, four instances. This begging is begging the question from us, why is Mark using this language? What is Mark trying to say? If you look into these parts of the story, every time the demons or these people beg Jesus to do something, what does he do? He answers their request. (laughs) That stuns me. Jesus answers the requests of the demons. He, He gives them permission to do the thing that they wanted to do. These people, as they come face to face with the God of the universe... This great liberator who had come to their region, who had delivered a man who they all knew was very strong for whatever reason because of this demon possession, and they wanted him to leave. They begged him, leave us. And he did. He didn't force himself upon them. He didn't stay despite the request. No, he, he did what they wanted. It reminds me of Romans 1. As God is, as the gospel of God is being described as being revealed because of the, his righteousness and the work of Jesus and then the wrath of God being revealed because of the wickedness and disobedience of humanity. And all these different sins are being listed in Romans 1 and how this develops in us, how we exchange our creator for created things, how we worship stuff instead of him, how we continue to give ourselves over to things that are not godly. And God gives us over to what we want. You ever heard the phrase, God gives you everything you want? Probably not a lot at church, but it's partly true. If you want to be godly, God will help you be godly. If you want to be wise, God loves to give wisdom. If you want to set yourself on the throne of your life, God will give you over to that too. If you want to eat the fruit after God tells you not to, he's not going to knock it out of your hand. If you want Jesus to leave your presence because you're tired of him or you're scared of him or it's just too hard, he'll probably let you do that too. But there's one more instance in this story that I find really weird. The last part of this story that I find strange is that there's an example of begging at the very end. The response of Jesus to the man who had just been released of all these demons. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, answering the request of the people, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus earnestly that he might remain with him. And then verse 19, but Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Of all the requests that Jesus would grant, why doesn't he grant him this one? You just went face to face with demons. Three times they beg you. Three times you grant them their request. You just came face to face with this ungodly people who are afraid of you, which is they should be but then respond inappropriately and saying, leave us, Jesus. We want nothing to do with you, Jesus. And then this man who had experienced your great power and your great authority, who had been the receiving end of your great mercy, you said no. 
he had a desire to, to remain with Jesus, and Jesus said no. <laughs> it's almost like sometimes we have an agenda, we have a desire, and things don't go according to what we want. It's almost like sometimes we have a plan of the way we think things are going to go, and it doesn't actually work out that way. Jim actually preached this text for his final sermon during his time at Ozark Christian College. And he highlighted the idea that, would you be okay if after graduating from this school, this Bible college where you're being trained up to go do ministry and change the world and be kingdom workers if God sent you home? Instead of sending you to an unreached people group, instead of sending you into this church that you really thought you would get to work out, instead of giving you this great, large, famous ministry you, you, you secretly deep down want, what if God sent you home? How would you respond? And not many of us are attending a Bible college right now trying to go into vocational ministry, but I would be willing to bet that each of us have some desires in our hearts, some ideas which we think if God would just listen to us instead of doing whatever it is he's doing, things would go a little better. Like if God would just answer my prayers, man, things would be so much better than however God's choosing to run things. I know I've thought that. I know I've believed that. I know I've foolishly, foolishly gone down that road. What if Jesus looked at you and said, no, no, I have something else for you. And you may not be able to see it now. You may not agree with it now, but this is what I need you to do. Interestingly enough, though this man wanted to remain with Jesus, which is a great request, Jesus says, no, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I had a conversation just today with a group of young people who are really considering ministry and talked to them about how sometimes you have plans and desires and life just doesn't go that way. And our job is not to be complainers, is not to be angry with God, is not to think for a second that we know better than God. It's to take the opportunity that's before us and to minister well there. Sometimes that means going home. And for this guy, going home meant looking at people in the eye who, who knows what he had done while he was possessed by demons. Who knows how many people he had hurt? Who knows the background story that led him to be at a place where he opened himself up to the powers of darkness and somehow allowed the powers of darkness to collide with his physical body? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. What I do know is that each and every one of us are faced with, in this text and in our life, the power of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, and the commands of Jesus. And this text begs one question. How will you respond to the power of Jesus? How will you respond to the mercy of Jesus? How will you respond to the commands of Jesus? Because those things are hard. When we look at who God is and what he has done in and through Jesus, sometimes we think we don't like that version of God. Sometimes we look at life and we think maybe we know better than God. Maybe we could do it a little cleaner, a little safer, a little nicer. 
Some of us, when we're confronted with the mercy of God, we somehow assume that casts away any idea of the judgment of God or God saying no to our requests. Actually, as we see in this text, there is both torment and there is both judgment and there is also great mercy. What will you do with the commands of God? When God looks at you and says, you are to do my will in the place that you are, in the home that you've been given, in the job that you have, or maybe that's not you. Maybe you are going to be called to go do something else or change something big in your life. I don't know. All I do know is that we need to be clear with the clear commands of God. This man was. Look at the final verse, verse 20. So this man who had received the mercy of God went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. My prayer for myself this week, for my family, for this church, for everyone who's watching this, is that we would respond well to the person of Jesus. That as we look at his power, as we look at his mercy, as we look at his commands, we would not be so foolish to think we don't need the words of God anymore. I don't need to waste time sitting under the preaching of God's word. I don't, I don't necessarily need to gather with the people of God. I don't need those things. Those are beyond me. And I pray that we wouldn't be people who look at Jesus and say, no, thank you. But I pray we would be like this guy, this demon-possessed guy who had received the mercy of God and been set free, that we would go out and begin to do whatever it is Jesus has given us to do. That'll look different for each and every one of us. But I do know this. We are to represent Jesus well in the places we are through everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. The world may be amazed. They may be fearful. I don't know. But that's what we're called to do. So if you have it, have the elements with you or not, why don't you get the bread and the cup and let's remember who Jesus is and what he has done. Remember his power and his authority. Remember his great mercy that he's shown upon us. Remember the commands that Jesus gives to his people to make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey, to baptize them in his name, to represent Jesus well in everything. Let's take the bread and eat. And let's take the cup and let's drink.
Hey folks, so this Sunday we have an awesome opportunity to open the new kids building. And so we're going to have an open house uh, after each of the three services. But before we do that, we wanted to spend some time um, praying together as a church family. And so the two big things that we're going to be praying about this morning is one, uh, just spending some time thanking God for his provision, for giving us a place uh, that we get to minister to kids and their families. Um, But then two, we want to ask just for God to continue to provide uh, his spirit, his blessing as, as we have gospel conversations with kiddos over there. And so we would love if you would spend some time with us right now um, praying for the new space. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the provision that you have supplied for the new building uh, through the generosity of your people here at Sunnybrook. Um, God, for the many people who have worked on the building, who have passionately um, put things together so that kids can hear the gospel well there. And God, I know at some level it is just a building, and yet, God, we realize that it represents a place uh, where kids will will get to encounter you and have a space where they're able to respond to the gospel in in amazing ways. And so, Father, we just want to spend some time saying thank you for that, for there being a place that grabs kids' attentions and, and allows them a safe environment to truly encounter you well. And so, God, would you, would you continue to pour out your faithfulness and your provision um, on this new place? God, your name is great. And we come before you humbly asking, Father, would your name be made great and be made known in this building? God, with our kids, with the volunteers, the families that we get to interact with, Father, would your name just be made known to them through our worship, through our teaching, opening your word. God, may the things that we do um, be very intentional, Father, so that your spirit um, is free to do the work that you want to do in our kids and in our families and our volunteers. We pray, um, God, would you be present? Would you lead us as we um, are in this new space? Would you give us wisdom and how to best use this space, the families that we get to serve, how we can do that um, to your glory? God, may your word just flood and may your presence just be thick in that place. And we just ask for you to move in the hearts of our kids that are going to experience you in this space. And God, we're so excited that in this space, kids will get to understand their identity in you, that they will know that they've been made by you, that they are loved by you, that they are pursued by you. And Father, as we get to explore and discover truth in your word, um, Father, I pray that you would put a deep passion um, for truth in the hearts of our kids. And yet, Father, again, all of this, I pray, would be for your glory. Um, That again, as we sing... (laughs) as we discipline, as we play video games, as we spend time having intentional conversations with kids. God, more than anything in this new building, we want much to be made of you. And so Father, over the course of this whole building campaign, and as we get ready to launch into a new season of kids ministry in that place, God, I I do believe that much has been made of who you are in your faithfulness. And again, God, that is our prayer this morning, that in everything that we do, um, God, you would be glorified. And so, God, would we live in a way that we make much of you? It's in the power of Jesus' name that we pray these things, and again, it is to his glory. Amen.
Amen. Fran, friends, thank you so much for faithfully giving and faithfully praying for this space and all of the grand openings of it. Yeah. Um, we just, we covet those and we pray that you would continue to do so. We love you guys and we will see you next week.